Well, how wonderful it is to be reunited with you guys, even if it is for one Sunday. I was honored and excited when Jared asked me to come to witness in person the pastor's uh, performance on Christmas Eve. So that was a privilege. <laughs> um, no, and also to bring God's word to you again this morning. That is a weighty privilege. I, Shannon and I actually, we were talking the other day, and we don't feel like it's really reuniting at all. Maybe we haven't been gone long enough, but Shannon and I have felt united to you the whole time we've been away. We felt your support, your prayers. Uh, Jim, Andy, Jim and Andy uh, came out at different weeks to Louisville to um, teach us, teach our class on uh, biblical counseling and evangelism, gave our class vision for it, real life practice in it. Those classes made a, a real, true, lasting impact on all of us. We still talk about it. We're expecting to see Mark soon. Uh, Jared will come out to teach. Andy again. Rob. I'm so happy to be from Covenant Fellowship. I'm very proud. <laughs> um, this church has had and is having a true impact on the world. It is. A small impact, all said, but a real one. So thank you for sending us to the Pastors College in Louisville. Not only am I learning from some of the best seminary professors, authors, pastors, not only am I learning Greek so I can read the New Testament in the language it was written in, Shen and I are being poured into in such a unique way. He is working on us. He's refining us. He's encouraging us. So thank you for praying for us and for supporting us. We continue to need it every day. But God has been so good to us. I'm going to preach from Proverbs 16 this morning. So you can turn there now. Proverbs speaks to the covenant people of God who know that they are his. They have been redeemed, saved, rescued by him. They are his people. Yet, they are a people who are prone to forget. People that are prone to forget how God has saved them. Forget how to live as God's people in the world. The book of Proverbs came to them and comes to us from the Lord. Not as a collection of morals that we could put on a calendar on our office or over our toilet. No, this is not a checklist for achieving good Christianity. No, it's a related network. Describing the whole of God's created order. It's a net of safety for living for God in the world that he has created for us. Passages and verses in Proverbs, aren't connected, they aren't connected to those around it in the same way as other books. But we are to view them as a whole. With that said, Proverbs 16, 1 through 9 gives us a remarkably unified view of God and of ourselves, specifically our hearts. So let me read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 16. This is God's holy and authoritative word. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, 
and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. But by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let me pray. Lord, my heart has made plans, even for this morning. Lord, you are the one who establishes. You've established your throne in the heavens. You've established the government that there will be no end of. You've established it in your righteousness, Lord. I pray you would establish our hearts this morning in love, in your love this morning. Lord, you desire and delight to use those who are weak to shame the strong, those who are foolish to shame the wise. Lord, I need you. Every hour. Speak through your word. Speak through me. Let it be not my burden, but your burden, your heart, for these dear people that you love. Speak, Lord. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. God knows that in the daily grind and in the broad scope of our lives, we are prone to forget his sovereignty and his goodness. To know they both exist. And they are both everlasting. At least we tend to limit them in our minds. Proverbs 16 is here today to remind us that the God who is sovereign over all things fulfills all our desires in him. The God that is sovereign over all things fulfills all our desires in him. We will focus on two major components of this text and that is the plans of the heart and the purposes of God. So first, the plans of the heart. And when I use the term desires uh, in, in this message, know that I'm not speaking about um, the small, uh, like wanting to eat pizza today or wanting the eagles to win. Or, or I'm also not speaking about the general broad longings for order in society or for world peace or anything like that. This passage is talking about the heart's plans for your life. Our desires for the future. The heart's plans for our life. And since this is the day after Christmas, maybe you didn't get exactly what you wanted out of the holiday or didn't really know what you wanted but knew that you didn't get it, whatever that was. I want to ask you a question. Do you live with a regular awareness of unmet desires? Do you live with a regular awareness of unmet desires? For your career, for a relationship, for a sense of personal happiness or well-being. Maybe you want to travel, you want to start a business, even simply be healthy. Wanted, maybe you want your grown children to prosper in the Lord. In the shadows of a Christmas season where we celebrate hope and joy... 
Maybe you find that even with the gifts you do have, you come up lacking in both. When I think of unmet desires this time of year, the mind quickly goes to George Bailey. Uh, George Bailey, the young man who, lived, who grew up in Bedford Falls, but more than anything, wanted to leave, even as a young boy. He never dreamed of taking over the old building and loan from his father. Instead, he said, I'm shaking the dust off this crummy little town, and I'm going to resist an impression, so you can thank me later. I'm, I'm shaking the dust off this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm going to come back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers 100 stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. His dream is deferred. And then later, outright denied. He determines after a delay to go away to college. It's his last chance. But if his father's legacy is to be carried on, he has to stay. Circumstances shrink that dream, but it doesn't die. When he gets married, which he resisted because he knew that would keep him tied down to where he was, he still had travel and exploring to look forward to. He says in uh, Ernie's cab, you, you know what we're going to do? We're going to shoot the works. A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotels, the oldest champagne, the richest caviar, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. But that rug is yanked out from under him again because that measly old building and loan needs saving again. And slowly, over time, in the midst of the joys and struggles of life, that dream seems to quietly die. But the desire never went away. One of the last things the young bachelor said to his father was, I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I'd, I'd go crazy. I want to do something big, something important. I feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. Now, years later, even in the midst of a wonderful life where he has given and has been given much, a once hopeful, ambitious young man, someone who was going to lasso the moon and pull it down, is now a bitter, warped, frustrated young man. He needed to be reminded of the purpose of his life. This passage says our hearts plan all the time. The first half of verses 1 and 9, the first and last verse in this passage, are descriptive, not, not prescriptive. God's word is describing reality. The designer is telling us how we have been designed. We aren't condemned or even corrected for planning with our hearts. No matter our personality, what we know, we can't make plans for our lives simply in the mind. We are emotional beings. And our instincts might be either to on one hand, make decisions led by our feelings. No plan is a plan. If we're, if we're true to our feelings, things will turn out all right. Or we can try to shut off our hearts when planning our lives and thinking of the future. Maybe if I just stick to correct facts or probabilities, I can't go wrong. There are more facts and contingencies that we will ever know, more than we will ever know. Some support our decision. Some might warn against it. You can pride yourself on being unburdened by emotions, but in reality, you are planning with them more than you know. This passage is not saying don't plan with our hearts. God knows our inward self better than we do. We're not object objective. We never are. 
I remember when I was deciding a college. The largest factor was not statistics, but where I felt the most comfortable doing things that I value doing. Our emotions and feelings sway us, influence what information our mind takes in and uses and what it ignores. Our minds are so connected to our hearts and vice versa. We reflect our designer that way, no matter your personality. It's true of all of us. We make decisions based on what we want and how we want to feel. Safe, comfortable, familiar, or adventurous, loved, supported, happy. But the plans in our hearts don't stand alone as the main character in this passage. It is the I am, that capital Lord, L-O-R-D, that name for God, I am, is explicitly and singularly used in almost every single verse here. He is the constant. So we have two characters. One does the planning, one does the establishing. This isn't, I think, therefore I am, or I feel, therefore I am. No, we think and feel. But there is an I am that we could never be. Solomon intends here to put humans in our place. The answer to establishing our steps isn't to fully grasp the situation or understand our hearts and desires in order to move forward and achieve what we want. We as humans can never fully understand and grasp how much our hearts factor into our decision-making, our planning, our goals. And we have nothing close to a complete sense on how warped and flawed, how limited, how stained with sin our hearts are. The prophet Jeremiah despairs in verse 9 of chapter 17 and says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Then the answer of the Lord in the next verse. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. There's a warning here in, and in Proverbs as a whole. We must understand the place of our hearts and the place of God. Otherwise, we will move quickly and err often. This book says a few chapters later, desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. We are called to slow down and seek knowledge, not just from within, not from our mind, but from others, especially God's word and God's spirit, from the source of all knowledge himself. It seems simple enough, but what keeps us from doing that? We want to do the planning and the establishing. That's what we want. My inward self is proud and it's vain. Verse 2, the heart is self-validating. Verse 5, the heart is arrogant. Verse 7, the heart is self-protecting. Verse 8, dishonest and seeking personal gain. And we have plenty of messages to reinforce that. We're indoctrinated with the Disney message, a, wish, a dream is a wish your heart makes. When you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. 
If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme when you wish upon a star as dreamers do. Fate is kind. She brings to those who love. She brings the sweet fulfillment of their secret longing. These songs are nearly 100 years old. This has been around a while. In fact, this message has been around since the Garden of Eden. But lest I unfairly focus on Disney, Braveheart says, your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. In the Sandlot, follow your heart, kid, and you can't go wrong. And listen to this poetry. Always follow your heart, even though it's always on the left, it's always right. That was the notebook. I Googled that. I didn't watch that. <laughs> scholars here, scholars agree that in verse 1, the language used is battle language. The heart is making a battle plan and is seeking to deploy troops. The, the battle that the heart wars is naturally for its own fulfillment outside of God. Our sin-sick hearts want to be self-determining. Psalm 10 says, for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And let's not just place, oh, the wicked, that must be something else. There's, this, is, this is speaking to us. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all the generations, I shall not meet adversity. As verses 4 and 5 show us in our passage, this proud mantra is temporary. Reality strikes. The heart does not want to be moved. But the word in verse 3, commit, is a... It creates a sense of moving, like moving a rock from one place to another, from ourselves to the Lord. This passage shows us how to move our hearts so that our steps may be secure, our work successful, our efforts fruitful. So can we commit our hearts to the Lord? Are we afraid that once we do that, we lose control of our hearts, ownership of our desires? It's very easy for me to see my desires as being outside of the reach of God. It's mine. I'm holding on to them. But it's out of his reach until I bring it to him. As if he's waiting for me to confess them, to consecrate them. But I'm too comfortable with them. I'm afraid of the things I want not happening. But the God who gave us Proverbs wants to reassure you this morning. Noting verse 3, Derek Kidner simply restates our passage. He says, our activities and plans, the thoughts of our hearts will be no less our own for being his. Only less burdensome and better made. How is it better made? Well, the greatest comfort in this passage is number two, the purposes of God. Look at verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. That includes our hearts. He is sovereign. 
even over our desires. When God wants to move us, he usually does it in one of two ways. Either he displaces us through trials or he leads us through our desires. Even desires for things that we don't end up getting. How might you be living in a way as if God's sovereignty stops once it reaches our skin? That he's sovereign, but this is mine. Our heart is not in the driver's seat. It was designed to be our engine. Verses 1 through 4 shows passion given and directed. Church, our hearts have an authority. We cannot self-determine the purposes of our own hearts. The one who designed our hearts has that authority. When I say the word authority, how does that, how does that make you feel? It's contrary to what we want. If you recoiled or winced, think about how you view God. Do you trust him? Do you believe that he has indeed made everything for its purpose? Does that include our desires? Our desire even for something specific in life? Our desire to be with a specific person? A general desire to be married? Desire for a specific job? For a specific school? Specific hobby? Specific body, health, even, a, even, even physical attractions, even to the same sex. Listen, church, the world, our culture, and our flesh says, if you have a desire within you, pursue it. Reject all authority on what you should do with it. Pursue it, identify yourself by it, let it establish your steps, that's happiness. The greatest tragedy is desire unpursued. Passion unvalidated, feelings not respected, dreams unachieved. Job, under severe trial, despaired and said, My days are past, my plans are broken off, the desires of my heart. Are you afraid of this being you? Are you afraid of that being you? Disillusioned, disappointed, depressed. Maybe it is you as you come in this morning. In a very helpful uh, YouTube video called Can True Christians Be Depressed? Spoiler alert, the answer is absolutely. He says, depression always involves, to some extent, a person putting their hope in something and that hope failing them. In life, in a broken world, we are constantly tempted to look at different situations. That if only they were to change or if they were to improve, that would give me something worth living for. That would solve my problem. That would give me relief from my pain. And so when those things don't work out, that's a failed hope. Or maybe even worse, when those things do work out and then they don't deliver on what I thought they would deliver on, that is also a failed hope. Church, Here's the only hope that will never be a failed hope. Our hope is not in the fulfillment of our desires, but in the fulfiller of all our desires. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. We know that verse. But that, that doesn't mean I want these things 
now I need to properly, properly love God and then I'll get those things. No. It means I want the Lord, I get the Lord. He satisfies my heart. And everything I receive from then on is so that I continue to be even more satisfied in him. Some desires that you thought might be fulfilled by now, or else why, why would God have put it there? You might, you might ask yourself that. I have this desire, it's unfulfilled. Why did God put it there? Is he cruel? Some desires... You want to be fulfilled, but no, they can't or they shouldn't. And that fills you with shame for having a desire that you know can't and won't be met. The Lord pressed on my heart this morning. Just, I think he wanted me to share three quick examples of that in my life. Um, just to illustrate that point. One, I was very sensitive towards silly career dreams. I had a passion for sports. Loved sports, broadcasting, studied it a lot. Um, I... In college, um, networked and met one of my heroes in broadcasting. He knew my work from my professor and basically offered me an internship on the spot, and I was thrilled. But I never talked about it with anyone because I thought, this is a silly career dream. This is a silly desire to have. But, but then, I was 21. I was so excited to have that offer. The number he gave me to set up when I was... When, how I was to go there, what I was to do. He never answered that phone call. And every week that went by, every call that left, went unanswered, I was furious at God. I grew up, second example, I grew up with attraction to both uh, guys and girls. Still have that today. Same-sex attraction. And I felt that... This, I did something wrong. I, God, God must be judging me. I, I can't share this with anyone. I can't even bring this to God. I got to figure it out on my own. And so I lived in the darkness. And it was only that I fellowshiped with a good friend of mine, a Christian friend, who we realized we struggled with the same things in that, in that car ride, a six-hour car ride, and we began encouraging each other through Scripture, encouraging each other that the Lord who, Christ who came to earth, lived a perfect life, ex experienced every temptation that we did and yet was without sin. And he was there to help us and help us live in the light. Third example, I pursued relationships before I married Shannon. I pursued other, um, other relationships, a couple girls at school. And each one was filled with hope. Um, did certain things grew in certain ways when I, in order to um, measure up. Terrible way to think about it. Grew in certain, you know, in studying the word so I could, so I could even impress a specific girl. That person ended up not being in a relationship with me, but I learned the word more, was brought to the Lord more through a sinful desire. The Lord was sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. Over all my feelings, I'm responsible for my sin, but the Lord is sovereign and works good and does good. And all these things, those, those three desires, I, I've been tempted to go inward, to keep these things in my innermost being. We cannot allow, church, any desires, no matter their biblical warrant or lack thereof, 
to direct us in such a way that we fail to believe the sovereignty and goodness of our God. So often I fail to hear the answer of the tongue of the Lord to my desires, to the plans of my heart. We fail to let the Lord establish our steps and feed our arrogant heart, a fickle heart, a bitter heart towards the Lord. In that car ride with a friend, we were reminded of Praise the Lord the Almighty, a hymn written in the 1600s in Germany. And there's a line in there that I, I didn't get, really, until that car ride. Hast thou not seen how thy desires e'er have been granted in what he ordaineth? My attempt at a modern translation. Church, recognize, consider how your desires have always been given, established, rewarded, satisfied in what God has sovereignly set. My desires have fallen under the boundaries of what he has ordained. My desires are ultimately met within the boundaries of what he has ordained. Have I perfectly walked through them? No. Not even my righteous desires. Like my desire to love and serve my wife. My, my desire to be a shepherd of this church or of a church. My desire to bring the word to you today from the pulpit. None of those are pure. I sin. I want to make it about me. Church, desires can change. The object of desires can change. The plans of the heart can shift focus. But his purposes don't change. He desires to move us towards him. He desires that we should come and adore him. Some desires that I don't want, that I don't find useful, desires that I wish weren't as strong as they were in a given season, those desires might never go away in this life. They might never be fulfilled in the way I want them fulfilled. I'm not the judge on whether a desire is useful for me to have. I don't think it's likely for my orientation for same-sex attraction to just fade away in my life. Church, do you have a category for your desire? Even, thing, even for things that scripture calls good not to be fulfilled in this life? Marriage? Children? Children of your own? Relational reconciliation you want to happen? Seeing the salvation of your kids, a friend or a neighbor? Getting beyond a haunting circumstance in your life that still affects you? The job you want? The successful handing off of your business? A personal legacy? To be healed? Do we believe that God knows what is best? That he has made everything for its purpose. That he knows what desires are best for him to grant. Which ones he will let remain. Which ones he will remove. You've been asked this before, church. If our dreams don't come true, is God still good? We must look at verse 6. The steadfast, committed, determined love. And faithfulness here is speaking to human situations. It speaks of the importance of love and care for others. Something that comes from a proper fear of the Lord. They are the fruits of obedience. Love is not a pursuit of personal fulfillment. But a desire to lay down your life for another. That's how the Bible defines love. Solomon says here, 
those who are able to hold these things together, who fear the Lord, who practice steadfast love and faithfulness to others, are a living sacrifice. Their sin is covered over by a gracious God. This love has an object, and it's not ourselves, God and our neighbor. John 13, Christ tells his disciples a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. This is the purpose of our heart in God's sight. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you might be thinking, I know that, but I found that extremely difficult, impossible even. I would agree. That's been true with me. But I, but we know that God doesn't leave us there to complete verse 6 in and of ourselves. We cannot. But love with a capital L was provided. Faithfulness and truth was made manifest to us. The Lord who we should properly fear came to us in love. Our hearts did not plan Christ. Our hearts did not call him. Instead, the heart of God beat inside an infant's chest. The son of God who had earthly desires and a human heart was tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. The only wise God, the one who fulfilled the book of Proverbs, the only wise God died at the death of fools. Charles Bridges says on this verse, no display of love can be conceived of to compare with that awful moment when God did not spare his own son, but allowed blameless love and purity to agonize on the cross. Yet was this wonderful display of love, no less a wonderful display of faithfulness. Love engages. Christ's heart for us engaged us. And faithfulness fulfills The ransom is provided by love and accepted by faithfulness. Both sat together in the eternal council in the Trinity and both entered the world together in Jesus Christ. Love engages, faithfulness fulfills. The world recognizes the need for love, but so often love is attached with pursuing our own desires. True love doesn't create or validate our desires. It transforms our desires. Changing what we want most. It's not something pursued, but something, someone given. Not, love is not just, Christ not just the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, the how of our love, but our very love, the nature of it, the substance of it, the quality of it. God is love, and through Christ, love is given. Christ says to the Father, I have known them, I have made known to them, your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. What a comfort. The creator and designer of our hearts has offered us a new heart to accept this love. So, I cannot urge you enough, church, don't keep your desires from your God and Savior. Take them to him. He knows what they are. The Lord says he hears the desire of the afflicted. He will strengthen their hearts. He will incline his ear. He delights to do it. 
He has the power even to change your desires. He can turn off, turn on a light switch of your desire for something or someone if he wants. Or like a light fader, he can steadily fade up or fade down desires at his will. If I had time, I could tell stories of how God has been faithful to do that in my life. Church, ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriended you in Christ. Take your desires to him. Pray that your heart will be aligned with his will and trust him to remove a desire the second it is not useful to him. He will be faithful to do that. The Lord does not tempt us, nor is he responsible when we sin with our desires against him. When sinful desire conceives and leads us into sin, when we act upon it, we must confess it to God and ask his forgiveness. But with that said, every desire serves its purpose in his sovereignty. And no, I'll close with this. Know that there is no use identifying yourself by any desire or clinging to anything but the sacrificial love given you in Christ. Desire itself is temporary. Our identities in Christ are eternal. Ecclesiastes says, desire fails in the scope of eternity because man is going to his eternal home. The spirit returns to God who gave it. Church, our hearts have a destination. They will be settled and fully satisfied, united with the sovereign king of our hearts, the eternal lover of our souls. So as our hearts continue to plan our way, let us rejoice in receiving the answer of the tongue in the word of God made manifest, given for us. Amen. It's so good to be with you.